Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics, and I'm joined on the show this week by fellow consultant and head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hi, Dom. How are you? I'm doing really well. Hey, we started a little series on mm. cultural causal factors Yep. and actions that come from them. We've done mission and philosophy, so logically next in the order is structures. So what I thought would be interesting, Corinne, the, the point of this series is really For people who have just completed a culture measure, maybe one of the opportunity areas identified and the causal factors was around structures. And so it's really just to have a chat about, you know, what is it? What does it mean? Yeah. And then some ideas of what could people be thinking about in terms of actions? So what could we do to turn up the dial on some of these opportunities? So from the top there, then what, what is structures? How do you kind of define that? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Dom, because there's a lot in this causal factor, but essentially what we're interested in, it's not about org charts, it's about what kind of structures the organisation have in place that impacts decision-making. It's effectively about how, if you like, power and influence is distributed throughout the Mm organisation. So one example of a structure will be whether your structure is hierarchical in nature. Right. And if the structure is hierarchical, it means that you've got decision makers at the top, okay, and all yep. the decisions flow up. Whereas if we talk about empowered structure, flatter structure, then decisions are devolved to the bottom. So that's just kind of a kind of a simple example of how you might think of the structures here. What we're interested in is the structures in place and the degree to which they allow people to get involved in decisions that affect them and to mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. decisions. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And, and from your example, you know, if I think of hierarchical. So we can make decisions, but only people at the top make them. Yes. Then the message I get of what's expected of me is, do what you're told. Exactly. Right? Kind of dependent or it sounds passive anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and maybe red further up could be, te- you know, we'll yeah. tell you what to do. So it's kind of that red, green type culture. If it's, hey, no one can make decisions, which is w- what you see when total influence is low. So no one can make decisions. That's kind of green Yeah. as well, right? Because yeah. while it's ambiguous, no one can do stuff. It's when it's both high and distributed. So we can make decisions, but it's you know, distributed fairly flatly. Now, of course, senior leaders can make more decisions and have more influence than middle managers, middle managers more than individual contributors and so on. That's natural, but it's how steep is that curve? Exactly. How steep and how distributed. Yeah. Okay. So kind of saying the same thing, but for different reasons. So it's important, I think, for us to talk about what's involved in measuring. So the way that I think about structures, essentially you're talking about the power dynamics in the organization, Mm. who has influence Mm. and who doesn't Mm. and at what level. Mm. Okay. And therefore, what does that mean about decision-making in the organization? Mm. So there are four things that we look at. One is total influence. So how much influence do I have the degree to which I can influence decisions being made. Mm. 
So I think about it as the amount of yep. influence that yep. I have. I describe, describe it as can we make decisions in this can organization? Can we make decisions? That's yep. right. And distribution of influence, which is one that often is confusing for people, is really the spread of power across the organization. So the gap, you talked about how steep the curve in. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. So so if you know, only senior leaders can make decisions. There's a, it's really steep. So the decisions I can make as a frontline employee are very few. There's, you know, maybe even few at middle management, but at senior leader, like they can make a lot of decisions. Yeah. And so there's the gap between an employee and the senior level leader who makes the decisions is massive. Yeah. So it's not distributed, right? Because it's all concentrated at the top. Yeah. And I think, look, one of the reasons that this is such an important causal factor is that often organizations will talk about empowering uh-huh. their people and or want aspire to empowering their people. But if you don't look at how power is actually shared and how influences actually operates in the organization, it's entirely possible that the organization's culture won't shift very much because you can make it look as if we want to be empowered, but if you actually haven't delegated it, you're not going to free the culture up to to change, to be more Mm -hmm. constructive. Mm -hmm. So influence is a big part of measuring structure. The other thing that we look at in measuring structures is the level of employee involvement. So to what extent are employees involved in having a say in the way that the decisions that impact them, so a specific say in the decisions that impact me, but also a say in how we run the organization, some of the key issues or innovations. Or how can we improve the organization? How can we improve? How do we debrief on something that's gone wrong? So the degree to which people are involved. The other area that we look at is empowerment. Now, this is also tricky because when people think about the word empowerment, they automatically think autonomy, Mm. okay? And in our culture, how culture works model and in our OCI, OEI, which is tools developed by Rob Cook, they're separate, related but separate. Mm. So empowerment is really whether people are set up for success, Mm -hmm. okay? So that means have they got the resources they need in order to do the job? Right. Are they given the opportunity to use their skill and experience? Have they got the training and time to practice? Okay, so think about empowerment as being set up for success Mm -hmm. versus autonomy. I can make decisions about how I spend my time. It's kind of a bit of a, plays with our mind a bit because our everyday understanding of empowerment equals autonomy. But in this tool, we're actually talking about the degree to which you've set somebody up for success. Yeah, and there's just more to it because one of the questions is I have the authority yes. in my position, which yes. is kind of what people think of. Yes. But authority is like, hey, Corinne, you've got the authority, but, you know, go build this wall. But, you, by the way, you don't have any tools to do yeah. it. Well, good luck to you. Then yeah. You're not truly empowered. Although yeah. you have the authority, you're not empowered to do it because no. you don't have the necessary tools yeah. to be able to do it. Same with time to practice. You know, yes. like, hey, good luck to you. 
but I don't actually have a chance to to learn it and give it a go before I go for it. So I'm not truly empowered or truly set up for success. Yes. So it's got that component of whether I've got the authority, but it's not the more tactical way we would think about autonomy and making decisions mm. on my own yeah. without reference. So we do measure that as well. But in structures, it's really about influence and authority, who's got it, who hasn't, and how much have yep. they got. It's a key factor in shaping culture. Yeah, and it's interesting things like, you know, in shaping culture, so lack of resources can lead to an aggressive culture because it's like to protect ourselves from the inevitable failure, start pointing the finger elsewhere. You know, well, this is why we couldn't do it, you know, and so it starts reinforcing for people to get defensive, right, and, and perhaps oppositional yeah. in that example. Question then. So those are our structures. So if we got a, you know, this is one of our opportunity areas in yeah. the, the survey yeah. we did, you know, what are some things we should be looking at? And maybe maybe we'll work through those different yeah. I think ones we've talked about. With this area, Dom, it's probably worth describing a bit what structures might look like in a passive defensive okay. culture and aggressive defensive and constructive and then go into just so that people know, because structure's a bit what abstract, like? what good looks like yep. and also what defensive looks like. Mm -hmm. So I'll do constructive last. I'll just start with passive. So in a passive defensive culture, the structure is likely to be maybe centralised. So it's held by a few. It's the hierarchical and powers based on position. Okay, mm. so status and position and authority and power are all interlinked. The higher you go, your power grows. And it could be kind of the headquarters versus branch effect as yes, well. Yes, yep. it could be that, definitely. And what we see in those organisations is the gap between employee and senior leaders, very, the curve is steep. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as a result, it means that the way that that shapes a passive defensive culture is that decisions take longer to be made. Yep. If they're all being referred up the chain, there are fewer people up the top, and so it means it takes time to get decisions made. It also means that there's a bit more, the risk is all carried by the top, and so ownership is held at the top yeah. and it's easier for people to stay away. I'm just doing it. what I'm told. I was just told to do that. I'm, I'm following the exactly rules. Exactly, following yep. the rules. So that's kind of more passive defensive. In an aggressive defensive culture, you can also have the same kind of hierarchical, centralised, and it's more kind of status. There's status involved. So there's a power in being at the top. You get a lot of top down, a lot of telling rather than empowering is mm -hmm. what I would say. You get a lot of telling rather than involving. You get feedback mechanisms that might be a bit more punitive. So the focus is on the mistakes that are right. made rather than learning right. from. So managing by exception. Exactly. Than, yeah. yeah. And then, look, decision-making can be faster in aggressive defensive, but it could also be reactive. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it might be faster because there's more pace involved and those decision makers are more motivated by the individual benefits so they look good if that gets done. It's kind of, to me, it's still faster in what regard though because it's like, because it's still hierarchical in, yeah. in that sense, right? And it's like, hey, I've got a customer in front of me right now. 
it ain't faster for me to go check with no. the one boss who can make the call. Yeah. It's faster if if, yeah. if authorities is delegated right yeah. and pushed down the Absolutely. organization. I can solve that problem yeah. right now. That's a good example though, Dom, because I think that both in, in a defensive, let's say defensive organization, in a contact center, I'm going to have quite a scripted right. on what I can and what I can't say. In more of a constructive culture, you still may have the scripts, but you might have more clarity about how far I can go on my own, okay, in terms of what I'm delegated to do. So I think that's a good example in an environment where things, there does need to be a level of control and consistency. In a defensive environment, a contact centre would be very tightly controlled Mm. and very specifically held to a script. Whereas in a more constructive organisation, you probably do have scripts framework. and consistency in a framework, mm-hmm. but you're also going to be given some guidelines right. to help you make some choices because you are the person in front of the customer. Right. So you're empowered to do that. Yeah. And I was just thinking, because we talk about control as in like, do what the leader says, but rules and procedures and stuff are also a form of control. Yes. Right. And it's more conventional yes. in that case rather than dependent, but, yeah. but it's also a form of control around decision making. And checks for sure. And so in a constructive culture, you're likely to have a flatter structure. Yep. I'm just thinking about whether that's true because it's an assumption. I think largely it is true, yeah. you know. Yeah. Look, I... So flatter, yes. Flatter. Yes. And let's not call it flatter. Let's actually say that you're going to have a more distributed that's a, structural base. That's a, and so what that means is people are really clear that the, the power and influence has been shared, has been distributed and devolved down to the level where it's going to be most effectively used to solve problems. And right. you know, that's the idea, right? Like if you have too much of a centralised mechanism, then the people who are furthest away from the problem are making all the decisions. Are making all the decisions. Like it, it doesn't make sense. The other thing is, so in a constructive culture, you're going to have this devolved sort of power base. Part of that will also be having structures that allow for giving and receiving feedback, which is that employee involvement where, you know, how's it going? We tried to do this, an after-action review that involves people giving their reflection and assessment. And by having mechanisms of giving feedback, it means that people can let you know what they need to help them set up for success in terms of empowerment. So I think that they're the key aspects of what you'd see in a construction, the open communication, mm-hmm. the clarity of delegated decision-making, what I can do, at what point do I need to get advice or refer so I get some clarity. I have mechanisms for giving and receiving feedback and Asking for advice is what I talk about. If you're not sure, go and ask for advice versus sort of referring the decision to someone else. And so what you get in that kind of environment is people who are prepared to take ownership and responsibility Mm. for the decisions that they are responsible for making. Uh You know, and so you get initiative, you get achievement orientation, you get all those great things, which is why... This structure's causal factor is so important. Yep. I think it's fundamental, you know. And so I kind of think, what are the enablers to that? Mm. You know, what are the enablers to that as an organization? So one, I think, just off the bat is 
probably the more formal stuff if we think of organizational design. You know, some organizations, particularly government ones, have quite formal delegations. Mm. Like who can make this decision at what level and all that. You know, and so I guess the challenge is to challenge yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and review those and can we push them down? Where can we push them down? And I guess the thought I pose to leaders is if you feel like you can't, why? Mm. Because I think our reaction is, you know, I don't think Corinne's going to make good decisions, so I'm going to pull the reins tight, right? And I will make the decisions yeah. as yeah. the leader. I've swapped our roles. Haha, <laughs> there we go. Um, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Right. So I'm going to pull the reins tight. But it's like either, you know, I believe they're not making the right decision either because they lack sufficient clarity. They don't know what we're trying to achieve and why, or they lack sufficient capability, right? So they don't have the skills, experience, whatever, to make good decisions. And so rather than focusing on pulling the reins tight, maybe we have to do that for a time. How are we going to let go of them, though, by building those two things? Yeah. Right? So how do we build sufficient clarity of what we're trying to achieve and why so they have the context for making good decisions? Otherwise, it's like, hey, Grinch, we go left or right? Where are we going? Yeah. How can I make that decision? I can't, yep. right? Versus For you know, sure. we're going to the Blue Mountains. Now you can make a call, right? And capability. So if they don't have the experience of saying, how are we doing that? Yeah. You know, and so if I see leaders where it's like, oh, I, I level below me, I don't trust them to make decisions. It's like, cool. So how often do you have the training with them? Yeah. Uh, never. Yeah. It's like, so what's the plan then? Yeah. Yeah. How are you developing them? Where would you put confidence? Do you see that as being part of capability or is it separate to? Because you can have the capability and the competence, but you don't back yourself. Mm. And so then you like to get your the reason you go to your leader for decision-making isn't that you don't know what the answer is, but you feel better, you get assurance from them and comfort. So I'm thinking from a cultural point of view, there's then uh, there's some kind of worry or something under there. Yes. Isn't there from a cultural point of view? So. So then I guess it's, it's as a leader, how do you back people's decisions? Yeah. Because I think people need to see evidence over time yes. that their decision is backed. You know, I'm not, there's a temptation for leaders, I think, to amend the decision. You know, like someone comes with- Add value. To add value, <laughs> add value to the decision. Yeah. So they've come, their plan is fine. It's going to work. Yeah. But I can add a little value, yeah. you know, and so I do. But I think it undermines actually- the confidence kind yeah. of piece, like go yeah. for it, you got it. Like, look, if it's a disaster and we're going to go off a cliff, of course we have to intervene. But if you're talking about like the, you know, very good plan to marginally better, does it meaningfully make a difference strategically? You know, yeah. like at the tactical level, yes, but is it winning the strategic one? Yeah. So I think confidence is an interesting one because I think that sometimes people get stuck on an old script. And so part of the culture and part of the role of the leader is to really be aware of the capability, the competence of someone and whether they're competent but not confident, in which case don't be drawn into giving comfort and assurance, ask them what their plan is and then give them feedback, ask them to think about whether that's a good decision. So I think it is about that developing the capability. I think Two, one of the ways that leaders can grow, because I think in a passive defensive culture, especially if it's historically been passive defensive, people have gotten used to not thinking for themselves. Right. People have learnt to depend on leaders 
to make decisions. And so even in that business, and you would have seen it too, Dominic, where leaders said, but we've told them they've got a clean slate or we've right. we've told them they're empowered. They don't do it. They mm. don't take anything. Mm. And I think, well, that might be because they haven't learnt to trust that it's for, for real. real. And so you do have to have some a plan of how you're going to reorient people to making their own decisions. And part of that is giving them the opportunity to make their decision, give them clarity around what the decision is, make sure that they're skilled and they have all the information to make decisions and influence, and also acknowledge when they've got it right, Yep. you know, so that they get a sense of what good looks like. I think the other thing with structures is we can be as effective in telling people what we don't want them to do. Uh So that's part of your clarity, Dom, is you've got to give people examples of what good looks like and the standard that you're looking for them to reach for. That's right, because if if I'm clear about what, what you don't want, but I've got no archetype for what you do want. Yes. It's hard for me to move forward. I'm going to check in. Yeah. Because I know the landmines to avoid, but not kind of where to go. Totally. And I, I liked you mentioning their clarity around decision-making. So like an exercise I, I know I, I like to do, and, and you do it too, is, is just this clarity piece. Because I reckon um, you know, there's a lot of gray stuff. I think Corinne wants me to check in with her on yeah. this. And like, if I'm not sure, a lot of people will default to checking in, yeah, right, because it's safer yes. to do so. Yeah, and so it's making it clear. And we we talk about decision tree or delegation yes. tree by Suzanne Scott. Yeah, it's a neat little tool because it's back of the napkin. You can use it with your team. It's really simple, and it just breaks different decisions into different categories. Yes, right, and so using the metaphor of a tree, and I kind of like the metaphor too. So leaf decisions is like, as far as from the manager's point of view, go for it. Yeah, it's your decision. Go for it. I don't want to hear it. You know, you don't need to tell me about There's it. There's no role for me here. There's no role for me yeah. here. Right? Leaf decision. Then branch decision is go for it. Execute on it. Let me know next time we catch up. You yeah. Know, when we pass in the hallway during our one-on-one, whatever yeah. makes sense. But it's still operate autonomously for me. Then it's the trunk decision, which is make the decision. Talk to me before you execute. Right, and this is a chance for us to kind of check in and align and then, you know, go for it. And then a rude decision is my decision. Mm. So, you know, as the leader, there are certain things that fall into my mm. basket, right? And if you don't like the analogy, because some leaders don't, you can just do level one, leaf, two, three, four. And sure. that levels is based on the risk attached to the decision. So level four or the root decisions are high risk to right. the organization. Or just not appropriate. You know, like if we're going to fire someone in the team, that's my decision as the leader. You know, a, yes. a peer can't do that. Yes, yes. You know, yep. or, or something like yep. that. What I love though is it's about clarity. Yeah. And I, I ask leaders to, hey, come up with a bunch of decisions that the team make and put them into the different categories where you think they sit today. And you could even do where you think they should sit and it might, yep. that might be different. Then get your team to do the same. Yeah. Where do they think they sit? And sometimes it's really interesting because I think that's a leaf or a branch decision, but my team think it's a trunk or a root one. Yeah. So they're like, no, Dominic really wants to know about that. It's like, yeah. No, go for it. Yeah. The other thing you can do is you'll have people in your team who are at different levels. Yeah. Right? Like I've got this person who's been here for 10 years. They're like a you know smooth operator. They know what they're doing. They've probably got a lot more stuff in that leaf and branch territory than the person who started six months ago. You know, but it's being clear on where is it and 
challenging ourselves to move it up, you know, and have that conversation. And where I've seen it used was a leader, to your point just before, who was a bit of a perfectionistic leader themselves, so was involved in every decision, but wanted to change her ways and really wanted to work on it. And so did this exercise that we've described with her team. Where should it all sit? They all agreed. But guess what? They came in the next week. What should I do with this decision? But what she did is put it on her wall next to the desk. And it was a self-management tool as much as anything because like, I can't wait to tell you what to do. Yeah. But no, hit pause. Let's look at the, hey, on, on the tree, remember we discussed, that's a branch decision Yeah. You know, or whatever it was. That's a branch. You go for it. You know, yeah. Let me know next time we catch up. Yeah. And so it was just a self-management tool mm. for the leader as well just to like hold themselves back almost. Yeah, I think there's so much value to this tool. And so the variation I have on that is in, is getting the leader to give a template to their individual team members and get their team members to do it and then discuss it in the one-to-one. Beautiful. So same, same diff. Beautiful. And part of the reason, because leaders often will take the template and fill it out themselves and then talk about it with their mm. people, would we'll just give it to them to do. Right. And then they do the work around it and they can come back and tell you where they think it sits and it gives you some insight to where they're at yes. and where they think are at versus where you think they're at, yes. you know, where the difference is. But the other thing that it does, so it gives people, they know exactly where their freedom is, they know what they need to get advice or direction on. The leader knows that they're only going to get the important issues come across their desk and if there's anything that's fuzzy, I'm not sure whether it's a two or a three, I know that to ask, or I don't know if it's a three or a four, I'm going to have a conversation about that. So I think it's really great. The other thing for the leader is one of your aims is to get threes to become twos. Right. So it becomes a developmental tool yes. as well. It's an awesome tool. The, the, the other thing I like it, but Corinne, is I think leaders are worried about delegation because when they think of delegation, they just think of leaf. Yes. Right? Total delegation. It's yeah. over to you. Abdication. And I am not involved. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. And it's just to say that, no, it can be a graduated process. You know, yeah. so that person we had who's six months into the role, you know, maybe there's more stuff where I'm involved. But the point is what you're saying, over time we want to migrate it upwards. You know, and so more and more is to being delegated down. And, and, yeah. and it's just like it's a visual that lets you literally see the progress, That's the change. Right. Yeah. And you can track it, you know, which is great for the team member as well as the leader. The other example I was going to give of a structure that can be, now the structure doesn't always have to be an organizational structure. Mm. It could be a tool like right. what we've just talked about. It could be a practice. And one practice is after action reviews. Yep. Okay. So after a big project, after the quarter, so whatever the period of time is, you sit down with the team and you review what worked well. What could we have done differently? What are we going to do differently? Mm. What did we learn? Mm. So that kind of after action review, particularly where it results in a change to our process, is a great way of shared power. Mm. Okay, I don't have all the answers. What do you think about mm. it? And it could be a way, it could be after a project, so a bit of a debrief, or it could be a review of our quarter. How did we perform? Right. Okay, what went well? So that it means that it makes our goals come alive mm. as a team 
and we show the connections between it and it involves people in that discussion, decision-making, it gives people some input. So that kind of after-action review, a debrief, to get people talking about the things that matter in terms of how they get their work done. So that's another really easy practice. Yeah, I love it. And I would add sometimes on um, on this, you know, what are your ideas for improvement or something? You know, something I think is really important is closing the loop. Yes. So, yes. so sometimes we ask, what are your ideas? And someone comes up with a bit of a stinker of an idea and it's like, well, let's just not mention that again. Yeah. But the problem with doing that is it goes down this black hole. Yeah. And it's like, whatever happened yeah. to my idea there? And the message I get is it didn't really matter. Yeah. Even if it's bad news, i.e. we're not going ahead with the idea, feed it back, right? And why? And maybe, you know, before you do, you could ask good questions and explore yeah. it a bit more. But ultimately, if we're not going ahead, feed that back and explain why. Yeah, totally. You know, and so it's like, hey, thanks for the idea. Here's the reasons, though, as to why it's not. Maybe we don't have the budget. Maybe we don't have, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Close the loop because otherwise it's like, you know, it's like the suggestion box. Put your ideas <laughs> in here and it goes down a black hole. As I will, it's passive, right? It what, is passive. And also you basically just sent a message that it wasn't the person's effort didn't make a difference. Right. And so you reinforce, you know, a kind of passive, what's the point of saying anything because no one's going to take any notice. The other thing that I think is really interesting, Dom, slight tangent, but, you know, there are a lot of programs on diversity and inclusion and they're really important and we talk about unconscious bias. But one of the simple ways I think that we don't include people is when we ignore a question. Mm. So somebody asks a question mm. and it just gets moved on. We'll you know? take that offline to yeah. never mention <laughs> it, it again. Or it doesn't even get attended. Do you know in those meetings where somebody's uh -huh. asked a question, it's probably an important question but it's caused discomfort and so somebody else starts a completely different tangent. We move on. Okay, so I, I think that is a way. Now, the reason diversity inclusion is important because it is part of how we share power, how we include right. people. But I thought that's an interesting one because what you're effectively doing when you ignore someone is you're really disempowering them. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. disrespecting and disempowering them. So. It's kind of an interesting take. This That's what I said at the beginning, structures, there's so much in it because it's about, it's kind of a, an idea, but it's also actual structures, but it's practices, it's the tools, it's yeah. the process as much as anything. Yeah, and, you know, further on involvement that we're, we're kind of deep diving right now, you know, and, and maybe on the other side of the, you know, say no is the, the soft no. Yeah. That's the one I see all the time where we say yes. But we don't support it with the resources, time, money, whatever it is to actually bring ideas to life. You know, so if someone has said, hey, you know, I'd love if we changed this or implemented that. And we say, yeah, cool, go for it. But we don't get like, you know, we, we don't resource them to do it. It's actually a soft no. Mm. It's a soft no because we don't want to actually say no because we don't want to be mean mm. or something. But I think it's actually meaner, you know, clear as yeah. kind. If we're not truly going to support it, then say no. Yeah. Hey, there's too many priorities right now. We need to, you know, focus on these ones. And, you know, if we free it up, yeah. we can do it or whatever. Say no rather than the soft yes, which is like, yeah, but no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, I do. we, we don't want to do it because we feel like we're shutting down ideas. Yeah. But I reckon it's even worse to do the soft no yeah. because it erodes over time. Yeah. 
And I think that's right because you can even, you could do it in a way, I love that idea. It's not something that we can do right now for this reason, but hang on to it because let's write it down. Let's make sure that we come back to it if it's a good idea. Like don't right. lie sure. as a way of making it yeah. a soft no, right? Again, so yeah. if it's a hard no, do a hard Just no. say a yeah. hard no, right. yeah. 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 I don't think we've ever spent quite as much time talking about structures, but it's such an important part of actually shaping culture. Yeah, that, that's it. You know, the, the last one there is empowerment. Yeah. Which I think we've kind of touched on actually, and it's really the authority, which we've sort of talked about. Yeah. And under there is the resources, tools, training, and so the on. So that's the capability. Yeah. That's the the resources. So how do we set people up for success? Yeah. Do they get the onboarding? They need? Yeah. Yeah. You know. you know, are they able to actually implement what you've asked them to do because they've got the resources and the tools and the authority to be able to influence the outcome? So I think, yeah, empowerment is an important one, but it, it's more about how do I help this person succeed? What do they need? What are the conditions? What are the delegations? What are the tools? What are the resources they need that will help them to succeed? Awesome. Thanks a lot, Corinne. I hope that helps anyone out there who's got uh, structures as one of the opportunity areas. You know, How do we push down that decision-making? That's what it's all about. Before we go, though, just want to mention we've got our wonderful annual conference coming up in September. So if you love Culture Bites, you'll love the, the annual conference. It's an opportunity to come together with our you know, community that you're part of. Hear some stories about clients of you know kind of success stories or sometimes not even success yeah, stories. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes challenge they're, stories. They're things that have gone wrong, but leaders sharing their stories of personal journey, organisations talking about how they've created change in their culture. They're fantastic stories, and our clients come along very generously sharing them. So it's inspirational to be in a room, big room with people who interested in this it's inspirational and it's reaffirming completely free <laughs> yeah we haven't mentioned that completely yeah, free it's completely free completely free and it's a half day yeah awesome so, so it's, it's in, three hours i think something like that so it's in september on uh sorry in sydney on the 5th of september and in melbourne on the 13th so hold those in your diary check out our website you'll be able to register on there we hope to see you there say hi <laughs> awesome. awesome thanks Corinne. see you Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia. All rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.